We are in the are beginning the third of our uh, sermon series on the doctrines of grace as we look forward to the uh, 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Please join with me in prayer. Almighty God, as we uh, open this portion of Your Word, we pray that um, the meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in Your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. As Christians who identify with the 16th century Protestant Reformers, we take the Bible very seriously. We are not beholden to the teachings of Martin Luther, John Calvin, or even the Westminster Confession of Faith as a first priority. Rather, our first and final guide for faith and life is the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. The Reformers, or even our own Confession of Faith, cannot and must not be considered a substitute for God's Word. Because we take the Bible so seriously, we study the Scriptures very seriously with a view toward allowing it to speak to us, even when it says things that are difficult to receive. Upon the first consideration of the topic of today's sermon, this is one of those biblical teachings that is difficult to receive. Many Christians find the doctrine of limited atonement not only difficult to receive, but they consider it outrageously offensive. But our question this morning is not whether limited atonement is difficult to receive or whether it is offensive. Our question is, is it biblical? When we read in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, that a uh, week before last, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we are not simply preaching that mankind is only very sick in their sins. We teach and preach that mankind is dead in their sins because that is what the Bible clearly teaches. The doctrine of total depravity means that in our condition as spiritually dead people, it is impossible for us to choose God um, for salvation uh, or to uh, flee to Him from our sins without God first regenerating our spiritually dead souls. And so that was week before last with total depravity. Um, last week we considered unconditional election. Because we are spiritually dead uh, the moment we are brought into the world, we never choose to come to God that we could have life if God did not first take the initiative. He took the initiative, first of all, by choosing to save us. He chose also to, um, to send the Lord Jesus Christ to be our salvation. Not only that, He chose to save a great multitude of humanity. He made this choice in eternity past. He made His choice not based on anything in us, not in our worthiness, of course, 
not uh, based upon our good works, not even on His knowledge of whether we would believe or not. His choice on who He would love was not conditioned by anything in us. It was based only on His merciful good pleasure and the sovereign purpose of His will. There's no other way to read Ephesians 1 verses 1 through 14 or Romans chapter 9 if God had not chosen or elected a people to, to love apart from any conditions in us, no one would be saved. No one would have a relationship with God. Furthermore, if we were the ones who made the final choice as to whether we were going to be saved, then we would be adding works to our salvation. Romans 11 verses 5 and 6 says, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace it cannot be based on works, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. I remember as a brand new Christian trying to figure this out, that it, salvation is not by works. But then I was the one who was doing the believing. How was that not a work? And I couldn't figure it out until the pastor took me to Romans chapter 9 and began talking about the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of total depravity and unconditional election are rooted in Scripture. We took a lot of time over the last two weeks uh, considering that. And as I said last week, you'd have to have an abridged Bible to avoid these doctrines. And, at the, same, and the same is true for limited atonement. In our passage, it is very clear that God obtained the church by the pouring forth of Christ's blood on the cross. Did you hear the limited design in Christ's outpoured blood? I'll read it again. Verse 28, Acts 20, 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. He obtained the church with His own blood. He did not obtain the world with His own blood. This is not an uncommon refrain in Scripture. Everywhere we look, we see God's limited design for the atonement. The atonement is all-powerful. But God limited the design for it. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices of bulls and goats, which prefigured Christ, was only for Israel. These sacrifices were not for the Canaanites. They were not for the Assyrians. They were not for the surrounding nations. Isaiah 53, verse 8 says, "...by oppression and judgment..." He, talking about the Messiah, He was taken away. And as for His generation, who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living, living stricken for the transgression of My people. Speaking of Israel. Matthew 1, verse 21. Uh, Joseph was told by the angel, She will bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save his people from their sins. 
Luke 1, verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. John 17, verses 1 and 2, the high priestly prayer, Jesus lifted up His eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all You have given Him. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So, the Scriptures are limiting the design of Christ's death to His people. He came to die for His people. He came to save His people. John chapter 10 is a very important passage in this consideration. John chapter 10 verse 11 says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 15, he repeats the same thought. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now listen closely to what Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews in verses 26 through 29 of that same passage. He said, You do not believe because you are not among My sheep. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus did not say uh, they are not His sheep because they did not believe His Word. But just the opposite. They do not believe, they, don't, they do not listen to His Word because they are not His sheep. Jesus says His sheep will listen to His voice because they are His sheep. The Father gave them to Him. This is the same thing that Jesus said in John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. And so this is in real quick overview of what the Bible teaches in terms of the limited design of the atonement. Now, there are three common objections that are typically raised against the limited design of the atonement. There's the objection that limited atonement is inconsistent with the free offer of the gospel. Now, the Bible clearly teaches the free offer of the gospel. The Bible clearly teaches that the gospel is offered to whosoever will believe. But just because it is inconsistent with our human logic that God would proclaim whosoever will to the whole world while limiting the design for whom Christ spilled His blood does not mean that it is inconsistent to God. In fact, millions of Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Bible's teaching about the Trinity because their starting point is the same human logic. And they see an inconsistency 
between the Father being God, the Son being God, and the Holy Spirit being God, yet one God. It doesn't fit between their, their, their ears, and so they reject it. God's bigger than us. There are going to be things about Him that we simply, as finite human beings, are not able to understand. God gives the free offer of the Gospel to whosoever will believe. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Gospel call is coming to you. The Gospel call says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the only Savior for sinners. The Lord Jesus says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. And so, if you are burdened under the guilt of your sin, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever will, He welcomes. Come to His welcoming arms today. Come to His welcoming arms now. Now, there's a second objection that is raised in regard to the limited design of of the atonement. And that is, it discourages evangelism. I addressed this last week. Only because God chose a people for Himself is evangelism possible at all. In fact, because Jesus died for people from every race, from every people group, from every economic uh, status, we can know that our evangelism will be effective. God will gather His people through the proclamation of the Gospel. We can go out and proclaim Christ and everybody we proclaim Christ to may turn their back and reject it. But we still know that there are others out there that Christ came and died for because God the Father placed His love on them in eternity past. We know that they are there. That's the whole reason uh, for the the modern missions movement. It was a, a, a bunch of people that believed that God had His elect from every tribe, people, nation, and language. And so they went to gather those people through the Gospel. Now there's a third objection that's much more detailed. There are many passages that sound universal in their scope. For instance, John or 1 John chapter 2 verse 2, Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. Or John chapter 1 verse 29, remember John the Baptist, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, "Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Or of course, we all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His, His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm not going to take time to address all of these passages. I've addressed John 3.16 uh, at least twice from the pulpit in detail that I can remember. Uh, I will say regarding 1 John 2.2 and 1 John 1, and, and John 1.29 that it seems clear within the context that the meaning is that salvation is not limited to the Jews but also to 
to the entire world collectively. In other words, individuals are not uh, in view here. And then there are other passages that speak in universal terms using the word all. For instance, 2 Corinthians 5, verse, verses 14 and 15, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that uh, one has died for all, therefore all have died, and He died for all, that those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who, was, who for their sake died and was raised. And I can't get into the whole exegesis or, or interpretation of this passage. Uh, we'd have to look at uh, the uh, aorist tense of the uh, Greek verbs and we would have to uh, dig in quite a bit. I will say, just on the, the surface of it, when he says he's died for all, therefore all have died, it would seem to imply a universal salvation. Uh, if you uh, look at what he means when he says all have died as he's talking about salvation there. And we certainly would reject that view even if we don't agree. Um, everybody, I, I'm sure, would reject that view. And then there's First Timothy 2.6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. And if you were to look up at the beginning of 1 Timothy, Paul says, I want prayers to be made for all people, for kings and those in authority. In other words, he's saying all, all social strata. I want you to pray for their salvation. For those evil Caesars and kings who are mistreating everybody, pray for their salvation as well as for the poor. I think it's what it's what he means there when he talks about a ransom for all, not just the poor, but even the rich and those who are powerful. That's why Dale prayed a few moments ago in the pastoral prayer for our president and for our elected leaders, because Paul explicitly tells us to pray for them as well as praying for all people. But all that being said, the most succinct answer to these passages that use the word all in a universalistic sense is that it uses the word all in a limited sense within the context. You know, when I was on a plane to Washington State for the missions trip this summer, the stewardess came and asked me, is everything okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. Not, not everything is okay. North Korea has nuclear arms and I've got weeds in my lawn. Things are not okay. Well, I didn't say that, actually. Um, but I'm making the point that all only means all within the context. It's limited by the context. When Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to Myself, he obviously did not mean all people in the universal sense of the word because all people did not come to Him. Now, there were a lot of Jews that came to Him. There were some Samaritans that came to Him. There were even some Roman guards who came to Him as He was lifted up on that cross. But far from everybody that saw Him be crucified came to Him. 
Or when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, it's obvious that all is meant in a limited context. Otherwise, he's saying everybody would be saved. Hitler, Judas, Esau. Well, the Bible doesn't teach all in that universal sense. Why is this doctrine of limited atonement so important? What is at stake here is our understanding of the Gospel. Every sermon I have ever preached from this pulpit, and I would imagine every sermon that has ever been preached from this pulpit going back previous ministers and guest ministers, has has preached the Gospel from the standpoint of limited atonement. Without this understanding of the atonement, I'm at a loss for how to preach the Gospel. I preach a complete salvation because the Bible teaches a complete salvation. Christ didn't simply make salvation possible. And we complete the transaction by choosing God. He saves us through Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that Christ actually, not potentially, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The Bible teaches that Christ actually became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. God reconciled us in Christ, not counting His sin against us. That's what Christ did on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit applies that salvation to us, including applying to us the faith that we need to be united to Jesus Christ. He did not just make it possible that we be saved as long as we do our part by having faith. It is a real, complete salvation that Christ has secured for His people. It's important. This is important also because it means that our salvation is a personal salvation. The salvation that, per- that Christ purchased is not a universal grab bag for everyone um, to, to, to walk by during life and, and grab up for themselves if they um, will only do so. It's not an indefinite atonement that implies an indefinite love. The Bible teaches that if you belong to Christ, you can know that Christ redeemed you. The Bible teaches that if you belong to Christ, you can know that Christ turned the Father's wrath away from you by taking the wrath you deserved and directing it at Himself. If you belong to Christ, you can know that God has, that Christ has reconciled you to God, not counting your sins against you. If you belong to Christ, you can know that Christ has atoned for your sins by covering them with His blood. The doctrine of limited atonement makes your salvation very personal. You can read Romans 8, verse 32. Very personally, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Himself up for me, how will He not also along 
with Him graciously give me all things. And that's the whole point of what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders. Christ obtained the church with His own blood. With His own blood. In other words, the church is precious to God. And so he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. Christ purchased you with, with His own blood. That means that you are very precious to God. Let's pray together. Father, again, we come to You in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because He purchased us with His own blood. God, I pray for the, the, the one that is struggling to know whether You love them. And I pray that this meditation on Your um, powerful atonement that was made for them would encourage them to be bold in their faith in Christ. That would encourage them to be bold in their prayers um, for You to work in and through them. Father, that You would encourage them to be bold in proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ to their loved ones. We thank You that Christ has loved us and gave Himself for us. And so we pray in His name. Amen.